0: All right, we've been having some uh, uh, issues seeing everybody log in, but I think we're starting to get it. So Roger and Sheila, good to see you guys. The maze are here. I'm glad to see you guys. Evans, Russell J., good to see you. The sauces are at home today. The sauces moved into a new house this weekend, so everybody is invited to their place um, next weekend. Saturday night, 7 o'clock. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't show up yet. They still got to unpack. But um, soon, I hear, we're going to have everybody over. Um, the Siders are here. Good to see you guys. I'm glad to see everybody jumping in. Miss everybody, uh, which brings us to first thing I want to talk about. As always, please jump on if we're having sound problems. If you cannot hear me, jump on. I'm going to try and check back here in a second. For some reason, we're having trouble seeing people. Um, chat in our normal ways, and so we'll keep an eye on that. But let me start by saying, if you missed this week's email, please find it and read it. If you don't get the emails, let me know. Find a way to let me know so you can get them, because we are opening the church doors next Sunday on June 7th. Praise God. Yeehaw! Um I'll be sending out a form this week uh, via email and text so that you can let me know if you plan to come and how many you'll be bringing so that we can make sure that we have room for everyone. If you are not ready or able to be back in a church environment, um, please know that most of the work we've been doing over the last couple of weeks um, to get our live stream working has, uh, which has proven to be way tougher than I thought. I did not realize it would be this difficult to get everything set up, but it has, it has been a challenge, but... Open a couple of weeks ago, um, and then I thought last week, and then I thought this week, and but now we've pushed it off to next week and honestly, very little of this has been motivated by the coronavirus the The delay is motivated one hundred percent by the fact that we want to make sure that our live stream is a real option for church for you. I don't want all of us to I mean, what I do want, what I think we're supposed to do is all of us in one place, shoulder to shoulder, breathing each other's air and giving hugs and bumping into each other. But that's not safe for many of us, for most of us. And, and it's not fair for me to open the doors um, and ask you to make a wise decision if I'm not offering you a real option to participate. And so please, 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 if you are even a little bit high risk or afraid of transmission, join us from home. Um, we are not leaving you behind. We are completely aware of your presence and we count you as among us. So in all of our campuses out there, welcome to Sunday morning. So enough with that. Um, and I do want you to know that uh, uh, there's more details in the email. Please check it uh, because we uh, we have our chairs spread out. I don't know if you can see that online. Um, we're going to put hand sanitizer. Everywhere. We're going to clean the building really well. Um, but we're also not going to walk around with a billy club and thump people if we catch them hugging. You know, we're not going to we're not going to uh, insist that everybody wear a face mask. We've read the email because I kind of described the tensions we're trying to hold on to here. So it's really important. So uh, my suggestion to you is if you need to be safe, join us at home. We don't count that as a cop out. We've worked really, really hard to bring our live stream option online so that you don't have to put yourself at risk. We do not want people um, at risk. And I don't want you to come and, and feel like, you know... Uh, by the way, one thing, I did put this in the email. We are going to create a symbol, okay? This is our sign for, I would like to social distance. So if you come to church and someone looks like they're coming in for a hug, hands up, hey, whoa, 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 I'm playing by the rules here. And please, everybody, if you see somebody with their hands at their shoulders... Don't hug them. Respect them. They want their space. They want to be here with us. They don't want people. They don't want to take any more risks than they need to. So hands up says, I'm I'm here to social distance. I'll hug you in a few months. Like, So please, if you see somebody with their hands up, that means, you know, because if, if you know somebody and I catch you hugging, I'm not going to come and go, knock it off for social distancing. We're not going to do that. We're going to give people, you know, some freedom. So please be safe, be safe. If you're worried, stay home. If you want to come and you don't want people in your space, let them know. Put your hands up and say, I want to be here, but I don't, I need my six feet. Okay? Because we've tried to do everything we can to give you that in the building. So read the email, there's more details. Okay, so this week we're starting at, how are we doing on my sound? I want to check that before we go any farther. This has been far more challenging than you'd realize. Hey Reg, what's happening? Edie, how are you? The Kvassarats are here. Good to see you guys. Good to see everybody. I'm going to assume my sound's going good. Nobody's jumped in and said anything. The last couple of weeks have been silly little computer glitches. Brett, did you give me a symbol? Am I good? Okay, Brett says I'm good. He's listening online too. We've tried everything to get this to work. The uh, last couple of weeks, I've made some really silly... You're supposed to be able to, to hear me during the sermon. I don't know if you knew that, but you are actually supposed to be able to hear me when I preach. Um, I started to wonder if maybe Brett was, was muting me on purpose. Like maybe he didn't want everybody to be able to hear me. Maybe the sermons were that bad. But no, seriously, I've made some silly little computer glitches that um, we now have, uh, once you figure them out, you never make them again. They're just funny little push-button things that we never would have thought of. But now we know. So, uh, assuming my sound is good, we're going to dive in. Um, We're starting a new series this week, and I'm actually really kind of excited about it because not only is it going to be studying a great book for the next eight weeks, one of my favorite books, but we're also uh, discussing it using a metaphor that I'm pretty familiar with, and that is the metaphor of the fixer-upper, and it's a study uh, through the book of Nehemiah. If you don't know the book of Nehemiah, um, the book in a nutshell is about a guy named Nehemiah who comes... Back to Jerusalem when the city was in terrible shape. It was, uh, trashed. The entire city is a fixer-upper. And when the city, uh, when, when Nehemiah comes, uh, it, it needs a lot of work. But just like every single one of those HGTV shows, um, and you know you've watched them, uh, in swoops Nehemiah, with a really cool design and a really short timeline and a seemingly unlimited budget and transforms this city in a single episode. So, I uh, absolutely could not think of a better time to study how God helped Nehemiah to complete his fixer-upper than right now. Um, because I don't know if you've looked at our world today, but we are in a mess. Um, our country needs some major repairs. The church today needs a full overhaul. Most of our families could use some serious work. And if we're honest, most of our hearts are a mess. And like any fixer-upper project, if you look, you can usually still see the original glory that the structure had. If you're honest, fully accept the mess you currently have to work with. And if you have a little vision, you can maybe see the beautiful space that can be if we join God in His genuine remodel project my wife has that type of vision um, with spaces here on earth she's walked into some absolutely trashed places and with like almost this magical ability she can see right through all the garbage and ugliness and brokenness into this like beautiful finished space she starts pointing out we'll put a table there and we're going to put a neat piece of art on that wall right there, and she can see colors, and we need to take that door out and maybe move that closet, and, and, uh, and it's, you know, she can see the, the colors she wants to use based on the natural light that comes in the room. I'll go, what do you think of like a light green? She's like, oh my God, with this lighting, that'd be terrible. You know, and she, like, she can see what, what would, uh, what would look good. And all I usually see is two things, whether or not the house has good bones, and just exactly how much work It's going to take. Um, So I usually have to trust Esther for the final vision. Well, Nehemiah had similar vision. And with that vision, he actually did a wonder, which we're going to study over the next eight weeks. So this morning, we're going to start with chapter one, which gives us our setting. And it reads like this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn in the month of Kislev. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from the captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who have returned to the providence of Jerusalem, of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see... Me praying day or night and day for the people of Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us. Through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them... Then even if you are exiles to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to a place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. In those days I was the king's. This is the word of the Lord. If you've watched many uh, HGTV design shows, there's usually this opening segment. It's kind of the, the cold opener uh, where the host of the show gives kind of an explanation of what you can expect over the next 30 minutes. It generally goes something like this. Jack and Jill bought their first home before they had children, and now they need more room for their growing family. You know, you guys have seen them. It's almost immediately followed up by all these before shots of just and usually, the, you know, they look terrible. I'm pretty sure they stage them to look as bad as possible. You know, they move every box they have into the corner of this room like the room's not big enough and things are pretty bad for Jack and Jill. Well, for Nehemiah, that comes in the form of a conversation with his brother. Nehemiah hears about the condition of his home and he's devastated. He hears that the walls are down and the people are disgraced. And Nehemiah breaks down. Here's what he says. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, this might seem like a normal reaction. We might imagine that if we heard the news that our nation or our home was a wreck and that the walls were down and the people were shamed and disgraced, we might react the same way Nehemiah does. We wouldn't... Uh, Who wouldn't mourn the destruction of their land, their home? Well, before you put yourself in Nehemiah's place, I need to give a little bit of background. Jerusalem was sacked by Babylon uh, after years of disobeying God. God had sent prophets to Jerusalem, warned them that if they didn't obey God, an outside nation would come and destroy their land. Uh, He called them to repentance, but they refused to turn back to God. So God allowed Babylon to overwhelm Jerusalem. And most of Judah, the southern part of Israel, was taken captive to Babylon. This turns out to be a very important season because most of the entire um, Jewish faith that we find when Jesus kind of came on the scene was actually born in this season the rabbis who are now living in a foreign land had to figure out what it meant to be Jewish when you had no temple and no land. Uh, before that, everything was centered around the temple and everything was about the promised land. Well, now you're living outside the promised land. You have no temple. So they had to figure out for the very first time, what does it mean to be Jewish in this context? And that this is actually when they first compiled the Old Testament, up until then it was just a scattered number of scrolls and, and they, they realized they were really going to need the Scripture if they were going to maintain their Jewishness in a foreign place. And so they put the Scripture together for the first time and, and they created what we call Second Temple Judaism or First Century Judaism, which is the Judaism we find when Jesus shows up. So most of the Old Testament that we read is not the Judaism that Jesus bumped into. The, Jesus, the Judaism that Jesus kind of confronted was this Judaism that was born when the Jews were in captivity. But the significant thing for our study this morning is this. Jerusalem was sacked in 600 B.C. That's when Babylon came and sacked Jerusalem. Most historians believe, and the Bible seems to confirm, that Jews started moving back into Jerusalem, back into Judah, about 70 years later. So maybe 530 B.C. or so. Artaxerxes, who Nehemiah is serving, ruled somewhere between 430 and 420 um, B.C., meaning Jerusalem had been sacked for 170 to 180 years when Nehemiah gets this news, Jews had been living back in the land for over a hundred years now. So let's put this in perspective: 170 years ago for us was 1850. So Nehemiah is actively mourning the condition of his land from something that has been that way for 170 to 180 years. For Nehemiah to fall on the ground and lament the condition of Jerusalem would be for him to be completely broken-hearted over a problem that had been there for 170 years as though it were brand new and fresh today. Nehemiah didn't spend several days mourning a new problem. Nehemiah decided enough is enough. No more this cannot continue. I actually decided to dive into this study of Nehemiah because it seemed to me that our world is falling apart and trashed and in serious need of a remodel. We're living today in a fixer-upper. And I thought the book of Nehemiah might be an incredibly helpful uh, book right now. But here's the funny part. I seriously chose this study when I thought the biggest issue we had to face was the coronavirus and the financial fallout coming from that, along with all the political wrangling that's going on over those issues. So you can imagine how I felt sitting down to study this book this week and and then at the end of the week watching things shaping up over the death of George Floyd. I had to, uh, last night, decide to rewrite my sermon. When I walked in this morning, Brett goes, how late were you up? Because he got... Uh, I text Brett my sermon copy so that he can follow along with the slides. And I think he got that this morning at 3.30, 4 o'clock. So I dove in last night realizing that after, this is going to be a tough one. Because this is a very sensitive subject for me. Nehemiah falls on the ground and he weeps over something that's been a problem for 170 years. And after this week, okay, it's too early for this. I think I understand Nehemiah's position a little better. I understand better that than I ever have before what it looks like to, for someone to deeply lament over a problem that's been systemic since the 1850s and before. here's the thing, I don't like wading into political arguments, but after the week that our country has had as a pastor and as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, as well as a history buff, I cannot stay quiet. Because there's a lot of hurt being expressed in America right now. So let me start by saying, what happened to George Floyd was inexcusable. I can't imagine anyone at OTCC questioning that. We live in a country with due process. If George Floyd had been a serial killer, he would have still been entitled to an arrest, a trial, conviction, and sentencing. What happened to George Floyd was wrong, pure and simple. It was evil. And what makes it worse is the fact that this event, much like Nehemiah's conversation with his brother, serves as a messenger, reminding us that issues that our country... Has had for 170 years and more are still very much alive and causing great damage. So let me start by saying this. It is my firm belief that racism has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a quick short history lesson. When the church started, it was a Jewish thing. You had to be the right race to be part of it. If you weren't born the proper race, you were excluded. So in Acts 9, when Cornelius, the very first non-Jewish person, gets saved, the church leaders freaked out about it. Like any good racist, they confronted Peter, who had led Cornelius to Jesus, and asked him what he was doing hanging out with the wrong race, let alone preaching to them. Peter defended himself, and his defense was that God had given Cornelius the Holy Spirit no different than He had given the Holy Spirit to the Jewish believers. God treated them like equals. The church leader had no choice but to allow it. How do you fight against God? Not long later, an apostle named Paul made a habit out of inviting the wrong race into the family of God. And the Jewish believers, because of Peter's whole deal, allowed it, but they decided that they would prefer for the non-Jewish believers to at least look and act like Jewish believers. Stop acting and looking so Gentile. The very first church council ever held in Acts 15 was about racism. Not where the church stood on the Trinity. Not about the nature of Jesus. Not about the foundational tenets of the faith. It would be almost 200 years before they would talk about those things. The very first church council was about racism. Right off the bat, before anything else, the church decided that racism was inconsistent with faith in Jesus, period. I will simply never budge on that point. So as far as the church goes, we have to be, have to be, have to be the shining light for equality and acceptance. There is no other way to go. It is one of our oldest tenets. But what about outside the church? What about our nation as a whole? Well, I feel called to be a pastor, and my voice is for the church, so I don't feel I have much of a voice in the wider culture, but I do want to say this. Though I'm not in favor of the destruction of property and looting and such, I don't really understand how it helps, and I'm pretty sure it causes more harm to the cause of equality. But I also know that some of the greatest American heroes began their revolution by throwing tea into the ocean, needlessly destroying valuable property as a sign that enough was enough. We now call them patriots. It's very weird for me to think that someday if we ever do reach racial equality in our country, teachers 200 years from now might teach about the torching of a building as a patriotic act. But my purpose is not to spark debate about whatever... Or whether or not what's happening in America right now is right or wrong or productive or deeply dividing. Chances are if we debated these topics all day long, we would all be right and we would all be wrong. My goal this morning is to teach on Nehemiah and maybe, maybe see if we can find a little guidance from this ancient book on how we can help rebuild the walls in our land and the very first thing that Nehemiah did was mourn. The very first thing he did. He, he didn't debate. He didn't get defensive. He didn't say, well, that's what Jerusalem gets. They should have listened to the prophets. He didn't even try to fix the problem. Nehemiah's very first step was to mourn. Really mourn. He wept and he fasted. If you've been glued to the news or to social media the way I have, And your knee-jerk reaction is to judge one side or the other. If your first reaction is rage at the police or your first reaction is rage at the rioters, then you are skipping steps. Step number one is to mourn. There are great cops out there who are now forced to stand in a line across from people who they would much rather embrace. They're ashamed of the bad cops. And now they're in a tough position. Weep for them. Mourn for them. There are protesters who are hurting so bad that they have no idea what to do other than stand in the street saying, this isn't right. Knowing that it's only a matter of time before some of them cause real problems and, and get them all gassed. But they stand in the street anyway because... Because they feel like they have to do something. Weep for them. Mourn for them. See the pain on both sides. And refuse to numb yourself by passing judgment. We need people who are big enough to see the pain on both sides and, and own just how broken things are. And mourn. Really allow themselves to hurt. So Nehemiah mourned. But it was not an impotent mourning. Because the very next thing he did was to pray. Nehemiah says he mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Please understand that the church is never helpless. Every single one of us has something we can do. And I'm not talking about posting on Facebook that you're praying. I'm not talking about telling your friends that you'll be praying. I'm talking about actually Praying. We need to be praying, church. Now here's the deal. We need to do more than just pray. But first and foremost, we need to pray. I believe that praying with no action is still better than action with no prayer. We must pray. So let's look at how Nehemiah prays. Because I do think it's important. Step one, remind God and yourself Exactly who God is. Listen to how Nehemiah starts his prayer. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenants of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Jesus started His prayer that He taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. We don't start every church service with music just because we don't know how else to fill that time. We sing because we believe it is important to start by reminding God and mostly ourselves exactly how amazing God is, exactly who we serve. Step number two confess. Again, listen to Nehemiah. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by just by not obeying your commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Now this confession is important to break down just a little because Nehemiah doesn't just confess the sins of his nation. He doesn't just say, God, we've made a lot of mistakes. Man, look at us, we're a mess. He owns his part in it. Nehemiah accepts that he's complicit in the brokenness. There's a distinct difference between God, we have sinned against you. Which would be a true statement. But there's a difference between that and God, I have sinned against you. We need to see and confess the brokenness in our land. Yes, but we also need to own the ways we've contributed to that brokenness. Step three. Repent. Repentance is different than confession. Confession is being aware of your sin and owning it. Repentance is doing better. It's a turn away from your sin to Jesus. Nehemiah says it like this, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to a place I have chosen for Your name to be honored. Now, for the sake of this study, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about doing a remodel. I mean, what I am talking about is doing a remodel of our land, our church, our families, and our lives. I believe faith in Christ gets us into the family of God, period. There's no amount of work you could do to earn that. It's a free gift given when we believe. But if you want to overhaul this nation, if you want to remodel your family, if if you want to change your life, it's going to actually mean changing. If you return to me and obey my commands, then I will come. I'll bring you back to the place that I've chosen. If you return to me and obey my commands, I'll bring you back to the place I've chosen. So step one, Remind God and mostly yourself how awesome God is. Step two, confess your part in the brokenness. Step three, repent and choose to do better. And step four, pray for action. This is an important one. Look what Nehemiah prays. He says, Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. We're actually going to go into this next week, so there's a little bit of a spoiler, but Nehemiah has a plan. He has actions that he plans to take to make the situation better. Nehemiah doesn't just pray that God will fix everything. Nehemiah is ready to get moving. And he prays that God will honor that move. In the beginning of the next chapter, Nehemiah talks to the king. But not, he, he talks to the king and he asks for help. But not until he smothers that move in prayer. God, start working on the king's heart now. Because I'm not sitting around and doing nothing. So go before me as I act. Sometimes praying for action sounds more like Please, God, show me what to do. You show me what to do. I'll do it, but I need you to show me what to do. But we need to be praying. And we need to pray knowing that prayer means action. It means doing better. It means changing things. God is not a vending machine. He is an ever-present help in time of need, the Scripture says. The Holy Spirit is called the Helper. He helps us. He doesn't do the work for us. He helps us. So pray knowing you need to do something. At first glance there, doesn't seem to be much that happens in this chapter, really. In terms of movement, the main character hasn't gone anywhere. No visible progress has been taken. If this were a movie, it would be a super boring movie. So far. But everything that follows is completely and utterly dependent on this chapter. Nehemiah allows his heart to be broken. He allows himself to mourn. And then he prays. He prays. It always, always, always has to start there. So how do we respond to this? In my career in construction, we've flipped uh, several houses and Flipping houses always starts with the same thing that has absolutely nothing to do with the house. It's assessing the market. There's some markets that work well for flipping and some that don't. We've, we've worked in markets where you basically buy the house, paint one wall, and you can sell it for a profit. It's, it's crazy. And we've worked in houses where you have to basically turn a turd into a piece of art and then you still barely make any money. Assessing the market always has to come first. Today's passage is like Nehemiah assessing the market. He asks honestly, how are things going? And he finds out that Jerusalem needs a lot of work. So Nehemiah starts with a lament. He mourns. He allows his heart to be broken. Here's the deal. We will never sustain any kind of remodel on principle alone. Doing what is right on principle alone rarely goes far. If we don't get our guts involved, we will never stay the course. It's just human nature. We have a short attention span. There's a lot of things we try to do because it's the right thing to do, and, and we get tired and we fade out. If you don't allow your heart to be broken, if you don't allow to take the pain of others into your guts and carry it, we will never stay the course. So feel the pain, get a little outraged, hurt and mourn, and then start praying. Before you make a social media post, before you judge, before you act at all, pray like crazy. Remind yourself that this isn't new to God. He's worked on many fixer-uppers. Tell God how good He is at it, at working in situations exactly like this. This is not his first flip. If you continually tell God how amazing he is, you might actually start to believe it. Confess your part in the brokenness. Since I preach to mostly white people, I'll speak to you. If you see any pictures or videos of rioting and you click your tongue in judgment before you pray, before you say, God, please forgive any part that I have in this, that I've contributed to this kind of atmosphere and environment. If you, if you can see that kind of pain and anger and frustration and you don't confess your part in it, then you've got things out of order. Remember, Nehemiah didn't, didn't personally do much to, to contribute to the sacking of Jerusalem 180 years ago. He can't own any of the things that got Jerusalem into that problem and yet he still knew that he was complicit in it and he owned it. After you've confessed, set about to change. Pray that the Holy Spirit helps you to do better. Don't just confess. Change. Say, I'm going to listen better. I'm going to reach out. I'm going I'm to talk to people Better. I've made a commitment, and this is just me. I'm not saying anybody else has to. If I see, I've got some great friends that are police officers. I love the police. I'm for the rule of law. And I, I, I know we need these guys, and, and I respect what they do, and I show them respect anytime. But if I, if I see a cop having any kind of exchange with an African American, I'm going to film it. I'm going to, I mean, I, what else can I do? I feel like I have to do something. We have to change it somewhere. Because of the incredible freshness of this racial situation in America to us this morning, I've focused mainly on that wound. The truth be told, as we reopen from the COVID-19 pandemic, our world's a wreck over that. We have people out of work. We have political parties at war with each other. We have bitter debates taking place over whether to wear a mask or not wear a mask. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The youth in our country are a mess. I need God to show up in a big way. Because of this weekend, I felt like I had to focus on George Floyd's death. But we're going to spend seven weeks discussing how to rebuild the walls in our land. And our churches and our families and and our hearts because we are a hot mess right now. And if I'm honest, the problem with aiming George Floyd's, aiming this message at George Floyd's death is that it's almost too easy. We all know the race relations are broken in America. We don't even have to want to recognize it to see it, it's right in front of us. But to see the brokenness in our hearts, And mourn it, truly mourn it, It takes authenticity. It's tough. So as we progress through this book, as we look at the church, and as we look at the family, and as we look at our own personal parts, please know that this chapter is always going to be in play. Whatever happens from here on out, it always starts with allowing your heart to be broken and then praying, confessing, repenting, and doing something to make a difference. So I'd like to close this morning uh, just by praying together for our nation as we kind of sit on the edge of this abyss. So I thought we would just close with a time of prayer. Would you pray with me? God we come to you today first saying we are so glad you are there because we need you. And we're so grateful we have the scripture because it tells us all the times that you came to a nation that was that was devastated. We studied Gideon last week and how the the nation of Israel was getting completely kicked around by the Midianites, and, and you came in and turned it around. That entire book shows how you do that. We've got stories about times when you took small groups of people who were willing to follow you, and, and you devastated huge enemies, all because of how powerful you are. people in the scripture took to calling you the host of heaven, the army of heaven because you fought for them. Well, God, we need you to fight for us. We turn to you because we know you know what to do. You know how to fix this. You are the one who said, if you'll turn to me and pray, I will forgive you and I'll heal your land. So, God, we start by saying, you are amazing and we desperately need You in this land. And God, we own our problem. We own that we have blown it. We've taken You out of everything. We've allowed ourselves to be lured astray by political gods and, and financial gods and gods of fame and success. And we worship all these other gods and we've turned our back on You. So draw us back to you, God. We own that we we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not listened to their cries. We have not allowed ourselves to see through their eyes. We found our brother broken and we didn't help him up. We found our brother hungry and we didn't feed him. We found our brother thirsty and we didn't give him drink. We found him imprisoned and we didn't visit him. We confess we have blown it. Forgive our sins, God. And God, as we confess our sins, we ask you to help us to do better. We commit to do better. We commit to listen better. We commit to believe our brother when he tells us it's bad. Things are bad. And even though they don't look bad for my house, help me to choose to believe them. This very day, set us on a better path. All of us that are feeling defensive right now, that are feeling like it's not my problem, I didn't do it, I've always done okay, break down those defenses. Help us to know that it's not okay for our brothers and sisters in Christ to be suffering 20 minutes away from us. A lot of us have no idea what to do, God. We have no idea how to make it better. Speak to us. Tell us how to help. And God, I know there's a lot of us right now, we're making commitments to do better. We're making, we're, we're heading out, we're making plans, we're, we're trying. I ask right now, God, that you start to give great favor to our efforts. That you go before us and open doors. God, right now our our church contributes to an inner city school for for kids to give them a Christian education in an area where the schools are disastrous. God, I pray that you would just pour out your spirit on that. Give them amazing favor. They just got a new building, God. And I pray that you would rain down your blessing. Speak to our hearts how we can help more. Several of us are making commitments to ways we can actively reach out and help. Go before us as we move. We don't want to charge headlong into bad situations. We want you to pave the way and give us divine appointments, soften hearts, change hearts ahead of us, so that as we act, we can have an impact. Bottom line, guys, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do in our land. We have to support one another. We have to take care of our people. Because because some of us are hurting. The fallout from this pandemic is still taking a toll. We've got teenagers who are a wreck that need you. So God, as we dive into this book, we pray that you would help us to roll our sleeves up. Because we don't do a great work without some serious effort. So help us, God. we cry out for help the way you told us to in the scripture. You said, if you will turn to me, confess your sins, I'll hear from heaven and heal your land. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.